All right, well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the fourth chapter of Ruth. We've been rolling along through this book, and, uh, you know, at, at times it didn't seem like we were moving too quickly, and, and now we get to the last section of the book, and I just kind of want to put the brakes on. I'm like, I just want to start backing up. You know, have you ever felt like that when you come to an end of something and you just really don't want it to end? You go on vacation, it's like, it really can't just be one day left before I've got to go back and go back to work. Or goodbyes, it's so hard to, to say goodbye to someone. I, I still remember, although it's been almost 10 years ago, when we left Idaho. And, and we left, and you know, they had this going away party for us, and we have this beautiful picture they gave us, and you know, they'd come and helped us load up all the U-Hauls, and they're standing in the driveway of our house that's not even ours, and waving, and we're bawling, and they're bawling, and it's just hard to do that, you know, it's hard to say goodbye, and you know, when a, when a child graduates and goes off to college, you know, I remember my dad crying as I drove off to college, and um we're gonna get a chance probably to do a little crying when we take these boys back as we've been blessed although they've been in college not to really have to say goodbye but that's changing in a little while and uh, mom's already been talking about how many days are left so um but it's it's challenging when we come to the end and as we come to the end of ruth we may not have tears at the end but i certainly will miss it because it has been a sweet time of studying just a beautiful piece of God's Word. I've loved the study. I've loved the learning. I've, I've loved watching you learn and interacting with some of you. Like, ah, I never saw that before. I never thought of that before. Seeing God's grace. And I've loved seeing the faithfulness of His people in His Word. Well, it's wonderful how this great book ends. Because really it ends with the beginning. Many of you have commented how as we've moved through some of the messages, because they were all a continuation, you've kind of felt like you were left hanging. Some have even uh, dangered to call me Pastor Cliffhanger. Um, I don't think that's really justified, but nonetheless, there is some of that that's occurred. And yet, what we see here is more of that, because it ends with a beginning. It ends with a baby. And because of that, I've titled our message, The Blessed Baby. The blessed baby. Let's take a look at at our text in in Ruth 4. And uh, we are going to be looking in in Ruth at uh, at verses 13 through 22. Let me just go ahead and read those for us. And then we'll dive in. Ruth 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you as a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now the generations of Perez, 
To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Abinadab, and to Abinadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. In our message tonight, we're going to see God's manifold blessing poured out in many ways. There's really, there's five elements of God's blessing in our text today. And the point of them is to remind us of God's grace. Because that's what we've seen through the whole book, is the grace of God. So we're going to see these five elements of God's grace, five blessings, if you will. This concluding section of Ruth answers the question that's been alluded to throughout the whole book. And it's really one of the fundamental issues answered with this glorious fulfillment. And the answer is namely the filling of Naomi's emptiness. You remember her return to Bethlehem back in chapter 1? This, uh, at the end there, she came home and the women were murmuring. You know, we talked about that wonderful Hebrew word, murmur. And, and Naomi, and she responds, Why do you call me Ma- Naomi? My name shall be Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. He sent me out full, but he brought me back empty. There's two components in there, really, of the emptiness or the transition that occurred in Naomi. The Mara and the emptiness. Changing from lovely, what Naomi means, to bitter, what Mara means. And changing from full, as she left with a husband and two sons, to coming back essentially empty-handed. Or so she had acknowledged. So the question is, how would the emptiness be restored? Now we've seen partial fulfillment of this. In chapter 2, we saw Ruth as she acknowledges and wants to come alongside of Naomi and return with her. So this becomes the beginning of that filling, although at that point, Naomi's not recognizing it. Then we saw more fulfillment as Ruth is blessed to glean in Boaz's field and to glean an amazing harvest. And she returns that harvest to Naomi, her mother-in-law. You remember how we talked about it. This wasn't simply a day's worth of grain, which was often an average amount that a gleaner would bring home. But the first time she brings home a month's worth of grain. And this goes on and on. You remember that between chapter 2 and 3, there's a four-month period there where presumably Ruth is gleaning through that whole period. You know, it, it kind of reminds us of the parable in the New Testament of the man who built barns to keep all his stuff. Because probably Ruth was amassing a lot of grain through this. And then it is more fully fulfilled as chapter 3 rolls along when Ruth is accepted by Boaz in light of Naomi's instruction. So the completion of this now comes in chapter 4 when Boaz first is allowed to be the kinsman redeemer and ultimately marries Ruth. We've seen her go from lovely to bitter And now she is no longer considering herself bitter, but lovely again because there has been that progression and she's seen this restoration in the kinsman redeemer with her daughter-in-law being married. And now we come to full fruition, the completion of God's plan because the fruit of a well-orchestrated ensemble is that crescendo at the end of the piece. And so we have here, the fulfillment is this blessed baby. And the five blessings that remind us of God's grace. 
the first blessing that we have in this amazing book, again, as we ha- have discussed, is God's grace of Ruth to Naomi in coming back with her. How he gave Ruth the faith to trust him. And, and by grace, she was saved. And that's what we see in that expression. And you remember if you go back to those messages that that's exactly what's conveyed in chapter 1. His grace continued in chapter 2 as they are back in Bethlehem and God takes her to the field of Boaz and in the very town where the the close relative is. And all of this moves forward through the kinsman redeemer. And there's been an amazing progression that's happened with Ruth. Ruth has gone from a foreigner. Not just a foreigner, but a Moabitess. The most despised of the nation of Israel. So she's moved from a foreigner to the lowest type of servant, the lowest servant as she is the gleaner. And then she progresses in 3.9 to a maidservant, no longer one of those who is the lowly servants, but now she has become an elevated servant. And now she is moving forward to wife in verse 13 of chapter 4. After the marriage, God grace appears again, and this time in the form of a child. God pours out his grace on Boaz and Ruth by allowing her to conceive and by giving her safe delivery of the child. Once again, we need to to watch our Western mindset as we look at our text in verse 13. The term went in in the Hebrew is a beautiful picture of the husband entering the bridal chamber. Or the marriage tent. There's nothing inappropriate. It's not like we've made a sudden turn to an R rating in this. Uh, Not some, some crass term that needs to be hidden from children. But this is an elegant illustration of a proper and honorable approach. And that's what we've seen over and over again. Even when we saw Ruth's approach and we thought, wow, what's going on? Is this a shameless approach that she's going to come lay at his feet in the night? We realize, no, that's not at all what's happening. Another interesting aspect of this is this is only the second time in the book that the Lord is the subject of the verb there in verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. This is only the second time that we've seen God as a subject in the book. Really stunning to consider and it's interesting too and a side note, try to not get on this rabbit trail for too long, but in the book of Esther, God is never mentioned. And there are many critics who have said Esther should not be in the Bible because of that. And yet it is a beautiful picture and a wonderful compliment and clearly part of Holy Scripture. Only twice here in Ruth do we see that. The other place is in 1-6 where Yahweh ended the famine and therein enabled Naomi and Ruth to return to the land. If we were to turn back, and I just want to read for you a couple of verses out of Deuteronomy 7.14. It's you know, one of my favorite Old Testament scriptures, it's kind of a tucked in here and a little known passage. And in Deuteronomy 7, 14, actually we'll just start at verse 12 for context. But it, it, it concerns the promises of God. But just listen to this and, and consider God's faithfulness through this. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 7 says, Then it shall come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness 
which he swore to your forefathers. We've talked about how that word hesed, loving kindness, steadfast love, is the portrayal of God and is how love is conveyed through the book of Ruth. And of course here referencing their obedience. Carrying on in verse 13, it says, He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine, and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. Verse 14, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. If we ever had a wonder about where the gift of children came from, it's clearly the Lord's bestowal. And it's bestowed upon those whom he chooses. And he's the one who brings that forward in in all cases. And to understand his sovereignty and his control in all elements is beautiful. And it's wonderful for us to remember that component. To recognize the, the appropriateness and God's hand in all children. Those who do not come to full term are yet children that are with the Lord. Those who he takes at an early time in life are the special children that are yet still his and yet still those of the parent. And many uh, of us have gone through those difficult scenarios. The appropriately undiscussed consummation here in verse 13 results in the conception. And, and this is our first blessing, and it is the blessing to Ruth and Boaz. Conception and delivery alone were a blessing, and Scripture tells us that God is the one who is opening and closing woman's womb. In, uh, in Genesis 29, 31, God opened Leah's womb as she was unloved but closed Rachel's. God's control is confirmed in Genesis 30, 1 and 2 as well, as Rachel later is able to have children. Deuteronomy 7, 14, again, as, we pro- as we've shown, promises this component. And this is the stipulation of the Mosaic Covenant as a result of obedience and as a result of faithfulness. And that text is so clear that God is going to take care of those who are obedient to him. And we as his children now receive those blessings, not in the same way. We are not Israel. There's not a transition of the law to us. But nonetheless, there is the promises that have been brought forward in the New Testament and which are ours. And there are aspects of the law which we need to pay attention to and recognize that there is an import to those and there is an impact to those on our lives today. So incredible for us to recognize all that's going on there. So conception again was a blessing and that's what occurs in verse 13. And it's a conception today. Every baby is that special gift. Every baby deserves a loving, caring home. Parents to raise that child. To train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As Ephesians 6.4 tells us. And what a privilege it is to bring a new life into the world. I delight to see new mothers and fathers. Those who, who are just starting and who perhaps the mother is just pregnant and all of that uh, preparation and all that goes into that, especially for a first child. And to recognize that this is the one time the Lord allows us to participate in creation. It's, it's an amazing facet to recognize the gift of kids. 
you know, that to, 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 as they come into this world and, and to see them entering life, to have that role in that. And I'll never forget, it just gives me chills to consider the birth of my children and just, oh my gosh, the, the amazing way that the Lord works. And the more we learn about medical science, the more we learn about the nuances of the human body. And, and Psalm 139 just explodes off the page to recognize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that he knows it full well and that he has known us from before the foundations of the earth and in our mother's wombs and that indeed every child is a blessing to him, even those special needs children. This is why, you know, I've been such a huge supporter of the Crisis Pregnancy Center because life is a gift. Life is a blessing and this baby was a blessing to Ruth and Boaz. Ruth, previously unable to conceive with Malon, and now gives birth to a son, and the royal line is established because two pious individuals came together in an honorable and godly way, and Yahweh acts to bring forth a child to achieve his plan. So our first blessing to remind us of God's grace is this blessing to Naomi and to Boaz. And then in verse 14, we see the second blessing. The women rejoice and say, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. Well, that redeemer is not Boaz. We've seen Boaz as the redeemer, but now it switches. Now it is the child. Now it is Obed who carries forward. The Redeemer is the restorer of life, and so as Obed to Naomi. Verse 15 specifically notes Obed's role. Naomi informally adopted him as grandson. And this in verse 16 where it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Again, we need to exercise care here when we're looking at the text and not allow our Western sensibilities and mindsets to cloud the text. The verbiage would tend to make us consider that somehow uh, Naomi became the, the, the wet nurse of this child, physically suckling the child. But this is not the case. Physically, we should understand this. So a woman of Naomi's age is not suddenly going to conceive the opportunity to take care of a child in this way without miraculous intervention of course and even then what would be the purpose well if we look deeper into the hebrew term we find the answer here the hebrew word translated as nurse denotes the lap or the bosom the front uh, of a person's body, the uh, front of a woman's body, as used in Lamentations 2.12. But also, it's used of men. In 1 Kings 1.2, where it's used of King David. And it's further used of God in Numbers 11.2. Most importantly, it's never used of a woman physically nursing a child from her breast. The term is not the speaking of the act of nursing it's a reference to her physically embracing and adopting the child. How this child has physically become her redeemer because he is carrying forth the line. The child was this physical blessing to his grandmother. Every grandparent knows this. It's been said grandchildren are better than the fountain of youth because they make you young again. They remind you of the joy of new life. And you know... There's a lot of truth to that now. If you have them for 
days in a row. They may be a little exhausting, but the Lord prepares you for that. So come on, Neil. Hang in there, brother. No throwing that head back. We're with you. We're here for you. We'll even help. Bring them on down. All right. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting. But there is truth to that. And really, there is no better way for us to understand how to connect and to stay vigorous. And we have many opportunities at Christ Fellowship for you to do that. Or you say, you know, I'm feeling a little older. I'm not feeling quite as, as you know, as vigorous for life as I, as I was. I just kind of feeling a little of the creaks and groans. Come dive in and be part of the, child, the children's ministry. You can serve in the nursery. And, and if you're a man, the good news is you don't have to change diapers. You don't get to change diapers. So if you've done that, good for you. And if you haven't, well, you still don't get to. But what a blessing to be able to connect in that way or through one of the Sunday school classes or the Bible club. Oh my goodness, the things that are going on, beloved, in the Bible club. I, what was it, two weeks ago, Mike, that, uh, that, that girl stood up and, you know, there, Dr. Greg's teaching along and she, she puts her hand up, you know, and it's kind of, it was an odd spot, but, you know, kids do crazy things. And, um, and, and he calls on her and she goes, I have a Bible verse that I want to share. I mean, what's it been, a year and a half that this has been going on? And she stands up and quotes two verses. Was it Psalm 139, 23, and 24? I'm, I mean, I'm bawling. I've only been here for six months. To see this and to see this encouragement, I'll tell you, you want to connect, you're feeling like I'm slowing down, I don't, don't have that vigor, come on down. Come on down on Thursday night to Bible Club. Come down on Sundays and participate in the nursery or participate in the, in the Sunday school program. You will be blessed by it. That will be a new lease on life. And I guarantee you, you will leave refreshed. Well, Obed would also be a blessing in carrying on the family name. Boaz redeemed the family inheritance and now Obed would continue the family line. Assure the inheritance and use it to sustain Naomi. This is in verse 15 where the sustainer of her old age comes from. Literally a sustainer of her gray hair. The aspect of sustainer is repeated in the New Testament. We see it in Philippians 4, 19. And when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The idea of sustenance through God. That's what Obed represents. Paul proclaims God's provision and the women of Bethlehem praise the, the notion in prayer of this blessing that's come. This blessing to Naomi because of his mother. Ruth was better to Naomi than seven sons. I, you know, I hate it sometimes when my memory slips me because I was talking with, just happened to be in a conversation, I think it may have been in the hospital with you yesterday with the, the girl that was sitting next to us. And she's talking about taking care of her mother and I said, oh, well, you know, that's wonderful. She goes, yeah, I'm the girl. You know, the girls are always the one that hang around to take care of the moms and dads. And uh, so I just had to laugh, and then all of a sudden you see this. It is this fact that girls just tend to be more faithful to their parents. Those young men, you know, they go out, they find that girl, and they're gone. And uh, chasing after them, and away they run. So, um, 
but it also, there's an indication here the, of the, the component of seven as being uh, an element of fulfillment and completeness that goes on there. And there is, there, that is truth, but there's more than that. And in 1 Samuel 2.5, we see the fullness of the seven sons in Hannah's song. We're not told that Hannah had seven sons, but it appears like there was a likelihood of that. So there's a connectivity in this, although we don't want to place a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on that number, there is some importance to it. Well, Ruth's love for Naomi is so incredible. And here again, the word for love, as we've seen about five times before, is our Hebrew word hesed, steadfast love loyal love not not the love that is the human love from a greek point of view not the phileo love the feeling love but it is the covenant agape love of god and beloved that is how our relationships are to be true love is not a feeling anyone who's married better understand pretty quickly that if your entire relationship is built on feeling you're going to start to run into some big bumps because that feeling's going to go away. Your feelings are going to start taking charge. You're going to start becoming selfish. Everyone does. It's only when we understand that, that love is an action. Hesed is an action. It is covenant-keeping love. God makes a covenant with his people, and he will never change it. Amen? I mean, because that covenant is made with us. He made a covenant with Israel, and it will not go away. There will be fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. But, beloved, there is the new covenant, which we are partakers. And no one can take that away. And that's one of the huge challenges I have with this whole conception of covenant theology. That somehow Israel has been put aside and no longer exists as a nation. What about all of the passages that say God's love is eternal? Well, if God's love is not eternal to Israel, what about his love for us? Are we going to start saying that God is fickle? Oh, well, he he loved them for a while, but he's going to keep loving us because look how much better we are. Look how much better I am. Am I not just the shining example of a Christian? Yeah, I just do everything right. Whoa. You know, before the lightning strikes, everybody moved back about 10 rows right? In fact, when I drove by the church yesterday, the lightning felt like it was just about going to hit me on top of the truck. So, I don't know. Maybe that was it. It was preparing me. So, but we have to understand that component, that this is an action, and God's love is forever. And that is the same type of love which we see exemplified over and over, one in which the participants would rather die than break. You know, uh, uh, the, the privilege of doing a wedding ceremony is always a delight, and I attempt to never go through that blessed opportunity without making certain that those two young people standing in front of me, if they hear one thing, they hear the fact that they are entering into a covenant And covenants are made by killing animals and splitting them in half and walking through the remains of the half. And when you get to the other side saying, should we violate this covenant, may the same be done to us as was done to those animals. It is not a contract. It is not something that an attorney is going to break. And it is vital that we recognize this because our world is just destroying the entire conception of a biblical perspective on marriage. 
Well, it, it is this covenant commitment and one in which uh, uh, the expression that Ruth portrays in one sixteen and is portrayed here again. The baby was a blessing to Naomi. First to Boaz and to Ruth. Second to Naomi. And third, it is a blessing to, ne- to Bethlehem. This child would bring fame to his family name. But also he would bring fame to Bethlehem. Elimelech's name had all but disappeared in the lineage of the history of the nation of Israel. And this child would bring prominence to it again. Obed would make the name of Elimelech again prominent to bring glory to Bethlehem. And this happens through the life and ministry of David the shepherd boy who would become king, the one whose name concludes this chapter and the one who would be a man after God's own heart as Acts 13, says. I love that verse because we know David had some problems. You know, when, when you commit adultery and you murder the husband, um, you got some problems. But he, he knew and still repented And therein was called a man after God's own heart. There's always hope for us, beloved. But we need to recognize that we too fall short every day. And repentance must be our immediate response. So it was with David's when he was confronted with that. And it wasn't immediate when Nathan came. But when he did come, it just slapped him in the face. You know, I, I've spoken a couple times, and, and this is a good audience to do that, about the, uh, the Sons of Korah and uh, the musical group. They have a DVD out that's a live version, and, and in that set, they, do, they go through three of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 17, Psalm 51, and I think Psalm 34. The three Psalms that David writes that are directly around his sin with Bathsheba and the effects of that. And, uh, and then the, the gentleman who leads the group reads through the scripture in between the singing of those psalms. It is beautiful. It, it is really something. I think you can find it on the internet. And if you can't and you want to see it, we've almost got that box unpacked. And uh, if you want to borrow ours, you're welcome to it. But I definitely will be zealous about getting it back because it is special. But very, very good to, to recognize that aspect of, of the way that, that David responds. And the one who is so much more than David. David isn't the focus here. It's pointing to Christ. We've been pointing to Christ the whole way. It wasn't that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. Yes, he became that. But remember, he wasn't even the first one in line for that job. He got it by default. It's Christ who is pointed to throughout the entire piece and the one who is so much more than David, the greatest son, the Lord Jesus. And isn't it wonderful, even as we talked about from Psalm 8 in our message last Sunday, how the first element of that which the Son of Man rules over are the sheep, the shepherd, the good shepherd, and the blessing that it is to know him. Well, his prominence coming to Bethlehem comes through Micah 5 and verse 2, where it says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. And I've got kind of a whole elongated section of Scripture there, but I just want to refer you. Go and read the fifth chapter of Micah. And look at all the nuances that are in there that come forward through Ruth. 
I mean, it's amazing to see that. Well, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, we find out that he will remain, this at the conclusion of Micah, because at the time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. This one will be our blessing. So the third blessing to remind us of God's grace is that blessing to Bethlehem. Boaz and Ruth, Naomi, Bethlehem, and fourth, he is a blessing to Israel. The second half of verse 14 states this. The second half of verse 14 says, May his name become famous in Israel. Literally, may his name be called in Israel. As mentioned before, this is referring to the Redeemer, which is just previous in the verse. And the Redeemer is Obed. Obed's chief blessing to Israel is through his progeny. Obed is the grandfather of King David, one of, if not the greatest ruler of Israel, and again, the only man after God's own heart. David is either thought of regarding Goliath oftentimes or Bathsheba a man of violence or a man of sin. But he is also a great man of victory. He was used by God to build the kingdom. He led Israel in conquering her enemies and he expanded her territories. He taught them how to worship God. He repurposed the Levites so that they would be there to properly bring worship. He established those who would sing and bring praises before God in the temple. He taught them how to worship, wrote many of the worship songs, wrote many of the psalms, devised the musical instruments, and spent a lifetime gathering the wealth necessary to build the temple. Whether he had a sling or a sword, a harp or a hymnal, David was a great servant of God. And beloved, that's how we should be too. In whatever role the Lord has placed us, we must recognize that we are to be the servants of God. In whatever realm, sometimes we find ourselves wanting to uh, ascend to another place, or, or I would rather be this person. The grass is greener in another spot. Beloved, the Lord has called us to grow where we're planted and to be used here, to be carried forward in whatever circumstances, whatever difficulty, whatever hardship, but to carry this body forward. And that's exactly the role that David fulfilled. And notice in verse 17 that Obed is named by the women. This is a a unique place in all of Scripture. It's the only place in the Old Testament where someone other than the parents participate in the naming ceremony. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't, um, that they didn't have a role. That would be ludicrous. But it simply shows that the women, or more literally the neighbor women, helped name him. Remember what they were doing when Naomi came into Bethlehem? They're murmuring, murmuring, and murmuring, and murmuring. And now they've turned that murmuring into the positive component of naming the one who would carry on the next lineage. Incredible for us to recognize that. It's a very unique name that they give him. Obed means servant. It's a, it's a short for Obadiah, which means servant of Yahweh. The shortened version simply shows he is a servant. It opens the door to consider servant of who. If you read it in Hebrew, you'd immediately go, his name is servant. Well, whose servant? 
Well, likely it's left blank on purpose to make us ask that question. He would most normally have been named Obadiah. There are many of those, and that's a common name. But it's left blank so that people would ask, and we should ask, whose servant? Well, ultimately we understand that he will be the servant of all because his lineage will lead to that blessing and that is our fifth point, a blessing to the world. Ruth and Naomi, or Ruth and Boaz to Naomi, to Bethlehem, to Israel. And fifth, he is a blessing to the world. Obed's blessings spread to the whole nation through his grandson David. But it leads to a blessing to the whole world through David's heir, through the true son, the ultimate servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would fulfill and be the perfect servant, the servant of the Most High God. That is the Lord Christ. Isaiah 53 is the description of the suffering servant. And we see throughout the the New Testament as well as the prophetic text of the Old a picture of a servant who is coming and one who will ultimately come as the reigning king. Obed's full blessing manifests itself in his offspring who is Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. Obed is tied to Messiah in the lineage that closes the chapter And this lineage is repeated identically in three other biblical texts. So four places in the scripture, this lineage is repeated because of its importance. We see it in 1 Chronicles 2.12, in Matthew 1.5, and in Luke 3. Because there can be no missing this, there can be no misunderstanding that all of this is pointing to Christ. Yes, it is pointing to David. Yes, it is pointing to the one who would establish the new covenant. But it was ultimately pointing the one who would fulfill the new covenant. So the one who is born and named servant became the father of the one who is servant of all and therein becomes a blessing to the whole world. Ruth teaches us so many lessons. In the midst of the wickedness and depravity of judges, God's steadfast love is just powerfully repeated for us. What an encouragement for us in a world of perversity, in a world of me, 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 in a world of atrocities committed, one man against another. We can understand that God is sovereignly moving and guiding, steadfastly in control and working in our lives. And in the midst of the rebellion of God's people, this is the, the, again, the first generation after Joshua, we see the shining examples of faithfulness in Boaz and Ruth. In the midst of the covenant disobedience, that is the, the idolatry, the harlotry, the adultery, where everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes as the theme of Judges, God brings about this unlikely union of a Moabitess and an older Israelite man to produce a child, one who is called servant, one who would be in the greatest lineage of history, in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of rejection, God brings redemption. Beloved, he always works that way. How often have we seen it in our own lives, in the lives of others in our church, and we have to keep our focus on that. When times are darkest and we feel like we are separated most from God, that is when we most must most understand that He is most near to us. 
You know, I love the picture of the one who is in the bottom of the deepest hole because then there's only one place to look and it's up at the light and we need to keep that in mind. A glorious picture of God's providential control and care of all things. Beloved, I pray this has been, been the beginning of a new picture for you a deeper understanding of the Old Testament and of God's faithfulness, and a picture of this revealed hundreds and thousands of years before our Savior. We're going to continue on to see more of God's faithfulness as we begin next week and roll into Ezekiel, a little different, sometimes some difficult details, sometimes encouraging, but nonetheless, more of a picture of God's providential control. May we, may we not lose sight of the blessings that are in Ruth, of God's steadfast love, of his care for us, of his provision for us, and his desire to use us in all things. And may we remember to use this, particularly with the young people in our lives as they start considering aspects of marriage and where the Lord would take them. Because as we discussed last week, and this book perfectly pictures, this is the blueprint This is how we all are to live. This is the exemplification of steadfast, loyal love, which comes only in God, but which we can manifest as we love one another as he's called us to do. So may that be our desire, and may we use that to his glory.